Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. It's crazy how much we go through in our youth that we reflect on when we're older and we're like, God, I wish I could go back. Yes. And, and talk to her and be like, oh, first of all, here's a list of people to avoid in the near future. Like, take this list of people, avoid all these names. But also, that's part of the journey that got me to who I am today. So it's okay. like, do I want to stop that girl from going through that trauma and experiencing that trauma? Oh, that's and interesting. It added to who I am today. So why would I stop that if I had such growth from that moment? Yeah. As much as I would love to go back and erase every trauma, every trauma, it, it's, it's added to my self-growth. It's added to my therapy journey. It's added to figuring out so much about myself and really learning to love myself. Even in moments where I get triggered by something that somebody says um, yeah. and, and almost spiral or feel myself spiraling and don't eat for like a day. Because Aww. I'm so affected by what somebody said. Hey, senorita, really nice to meet ya. Have some tequila and say, This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's Gina Brione again. That's right, part two. It's the only time I've done a part two. And comedian, actress Gina Brione is back. Last time we talked about parenting, we talked about life. And we talked for so long that I didn't even get to all of my questions about diet, fitness, and exercise. And I know she's going to have thoughts. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. You'll get an alert every time a new episode drops. And when you're done, if you would head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a quick review, it would help me so much. Here is my interview with Gina Brione, part two. We have already talked for over an hour and I didn't even get into diet, fitness, exercise. Uh, you mentioned in your Amazon Prime special that skinny girls eat lettuce and onions. This is why it's important not to assume. Because <laughs> yeah. so many people assumed I was coming for skinny people. And um, I've battled with eating disorders my whole life. I've battled Damn. with an addiction to diet pills. I've battled with an unhealthy relationship with food to the point where um, I wouldn't eat all day. Um, I've definitely struggled with body dysmorphia like most women or of some type. Like mm -hmm. if there's a scale of body dysmorphia, if you could do a one to 10, I'm probably a solid four or five on how hard it is for me. And if I'm looking at myself on camera, well, shit, I might as well be a 10. No, because it's very difficult and it's not something that like, it's something I'm working on in therapy. It's something that like, um, you know, I talk about on stage because that is a form of healing for me is being on stage and talking about it and talking about the experiences I've had, um, just in this unhealthy relationship with food that I've had for my whole life. Yeah. Um, and I know that so many people, but specifically women have such a struggle with food or anyone who even identifies as female because yes. of the pressure of what the female form is supposed to look like, what the yep. female form is, what is sexy, what is, you know, appropriate. You know, I was just, I was just in therapy and I was just talking to my therapist about a comment that had sent me spiraling what um well people comment on my body all the time every post i have there's at least one or two people that feel the need to comment on whether or not they think i'm attractive whether or not they think i'm overweight 
um, what I'm wearing. Like I've had people say everything from she'd be cute if she lost about 50 pounds. Um, this joke doesn't work because she's unattractive and overweight. God. Um, damn, she's a little too thick. Like all these like different things and you just like yeah at this point you know i i would love to be that person that you know was like no i'm totally over all that and i'm right. healed and i love myself and i i built a good loving relationship with myself but it's a journey everything is a journey and a process and i wish i could say that i don't feel those things when they're told to me but um yeah they still hurt I didn't have a clue you were going to say that. You know me too, right? Like I struggled with anorexia, bulimia, no self-worth for yeah. 15 years. Um, bulimia was my biggest struggle for over 10 years. And I actually was the heaviest that I was when I was bulimic. And people assume yeah. like, oh, you throw up your food, you must be skinny. But you throw off all your hormones and you're bloated and puffy. So I was struggling with it. I obviously, it was so shameful. Nobody knew because I didn't want anybody to know that about me. And yeah. nobody was thinking eating disorder because I wasn't thin. Like I was bloated and puffy, but I, mine started right around, like right when I got my period and I was 15 and my body started changing. And that's when I started restricting. When did all the noise creep in for you? Well, I was, a, I was always, uh, I was a chubby kid. I was, I was a chubby kid. I was a chubby teen. I was, you know, struggled. I won't even say struggled with my weight because I think it really comes down to what you're physically happy with for yourself. And yes. I, I in no way meant to make anybody feel bad about their body. No. When I, when I talk about this stuff on stage, no. when you're talking about what your experience is with, even with certain nutritionists, even with certain people that I spoke to that mm -hmm. were harshly judgmental, you really wouldn't think that there'd be people in the fitness industry and in the nutrition industry that would make you feel worse. I but, would. <laughs> but damn, damn, damn. Yeah, people came for my book saying yeah. I'm not an eating disorder therapist. I should not be talking about eating disorder recovery. I have no business speaking on it. And I shared my story and I... I continue to share my story and I don't claim to be a professional, but they come for me too. And I'm like, aren't you like a, an eating disorder professional? You're going to like bash someone else's recovery journey. That's the thing. It's like, there are so many people, unfortunately, um, that want to take a hold of your story and force it in the direction that they think it should go. And it's like, that's cool. And if you ever write a movie, go that route. Yeah. but that's not my story. That's not my life. That's not my experience. And I yeah. can't alter my experience to fit what you you want the narrative to be. Love that. Yes. And I think so many people want to fix the narrative to your experience. And it's really disrespectful when people do that because it's your story. It's your experience. It's your trauma. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it started, I had terrible relatives that teased me relentlessly growing up. Yeah. Um, terrible relatives, like just terrible <sighs> that there was Sorry. like no excuse for you to treat a child that way. Like I was ridiculed. Me and my sister were both ridiculed, like literally bought into the middle of the living room at family events and made fun of. And it's, a, it's amazing. We, 
actually turned out as healthy as we did. Yeah. Because of some of the BS that was pulled on us as kids. And I think it just kind of continued. In college, I was really addicted to diet pills to the point where I'm sure it would have killed me had I not had a massive panic attack one day and almost had to be hospitalized because I was taking so many appetite suppressants and fat burners. and, And yes, I was the smallest I'd ever been, but I was running every day, barely eating and taking a shit ton of fat burners and appetite suppressants. And aren't, isn't it like speed? <laughs> like, yeah. doesn't, isn't it like, I remember my mom used to take rip fuel, which isn't even on the market oh anymore because it's like speed and you like your hands tremble. I mean, I had a stint with diet pills, but not for too yeah. long, but I remember the shakes that you would get. Yeah. I was getting the shakes. I was getting, not just getting the shakes. It was like, I couldn't, I also couldn't control my temper. I also like there was a lot going on because I was messing with my system so much and abusing my system so much. And it's crazy how much we go through in our youth that we reflect on when we're older and we're like, God, I wish I could go back. Yes. and, And talk to her and be like, oh, first of all, here's a list of people to avoid in the near future. Like take this list of people, avoid all these names. Um, but also that's part of the journey that got me to who I am today. So do I want to stop that girl from going through that trauma and experiencing that trauma? Oh, that's interesting. It added to who I am today. So why would I stop that if I had such growth from that moment? Yeah. As much as I would love to go back and erase every trauma, every trauma, it's it's added to my self-growth. It's added to my therapy journey. It's added to figuring out so much about myself and really learning to love myself, even in moments where I get triggered by something that somebody says, um, yeah, and and almost spiral or feel myself spiraling, and don't eat for like a day because Aww. I'm so affected by what somebody said. By some rando who lives in their parents' basement that felt the need. It's yeah. like the only person that would write something like that, had the urge to write something like that, has to be pretty damn sad in their life or and they're projecting that onto you because a happy, confident, content person would never have the thought, like, let me go after this girl. So that's what I always try to think of like, oh, that's so sad for them that somebody felt like that they see a picture of you and they're like, I'm going to get her some it's, it's them projecting out. And I, it's easier to say than accept, which I I don't understand why people feel the need even to do that because even if I'm on social media and this is where it baffles me, it just baffles me that people think just because you have an opinion on something doesn't mean the world needs to know it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Just because you see something, there are plenty of things online that I see and I'm like, oh, well, I don't like that. Yeah. But I just don't watch it. Right. I know this might seem like a revolutionary <laughs> idea, but I don't watch things that I don't like, nor do I comment negative things on on things that I don't like or don't get, especially when it comes to artistry in any way. Yes. Um, because just because I don't like it, just because I don't get it. And I think it's different with when something offends, I think people feel almost like a social justice warrior. Like I have to say something for the people that won't say something. Yeah. 
and it's a, that to me is a scale. There are certain things where I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That's a systemic issue that is, is so problematic and needs to be addressed. And then there are things where I'm like, I think that's more of a little personal hurt. Yeah. And, and maybe take a minute to step back and process. Cause what that's... I do now with, with triggers, because everybody gets triggered, like, Stop. There's no avoiding triggers. Everybody has triggers. It does not matter who you are. Even if you're the healthiest person in the world, you still have a trigger. And what I do now when I'm triggered, and this has been helping me out a lot because I do, I'm not immune to it either. It's not about how tough you are. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about how healed you are. There are things that will always trigger us. Yeah. And, and now when something triggers me, I'll usually like take a pause, even if it's within a conversation and somebody says something that triggers me, you won't know it from my face because <laughs> I will sit there and kind of let it cross settle and be like, yeah. my first question to myself is, is always, why is this triggering me? Yeah. Where is this hitting me? What is this bringing up? Because it's not about the person. It's not about the moment what about what that person said or did or whatever triggered this deep hurt in me that is making me uncomfortable? I think what our, I think a lot of what we struggle with as people is the ability to sit in discomfort without looking um, to point a finger of blame at somebody. Yes. And it's like, I'm, yes, I've been, I'm uncomfortable and I don't like what was just said, or I'm upset or triggered by something that was just said. But what I, I guess, because I'm a root cause person, I want to know what the root cause is before yeah. I go all surface level, mad anger, Hulk smash with everything. Yeah. You know, I want to know, okay, this is, this is triggering. Why is what this person said triggering? Oh, because I feel like they might be I feel like they might be correct based on an insecurity I have. When there's something that that has a ounce of like truth to you or something that you're like, I always use the example of somebody I'm muscular and there was a picture of my legs and I got a couple on that one. It was like, that's a, a woman. I thought it was a man. Absolutely not the body type I would ever want. I, I was just like reading all these. And then I'm like, I'm getting upset. I'm not a man. Like, why am I <laughs> like, it's not something that I'm like, Oh, I was worried. I was a man. Like, it's not even rational, but I'm like, someone had to take the time to be like, that's a dude. And then you have to think someone maybe is trying to gain muscle and they can't build muscle and, and how, they, it makes them triggered. How ironic is it that they would use you being a man as an insult? <laughs> right. like, oh, I'm one of the most privileged people on the planet fantastic <laughs> right you calling yeah. me man as an insult like yeah yeah and there's no truth to it and i was but i was so bothered i was like and then i'm like why am i even but if somebody says like you're not recovered i never went to treatment for my eating disorder i struggled for over 10 years and i stopped doing it but I never like talked it out with anyone. And then I decided to share my story in my book. And so when eating disorder professionals are like, she is, what she's saying is not in line with what professionals see as recovery, that triggers me. Cause I'm like, oh God, I didn't go to treatment. Sorry, like I don't wanna, that because I do have that noise that you don't know what you're talking about. You didn't go to treatment. You're never gonna be saying the right thing. So those get me because I didn't go to treatment and maybe I am saying the wrong thing. Well, that's the thing. like. First of all, we deal too much with wrong and right. 
Mm-hmm. In, in situations like this, when you're talking about a personal story, especially a personal story of recovery, a personal story of what you struggled with, yeah. um, how can you categorize that as wrong or right? This is right. your struggle. This is your story. This is how you pulled yourself out of it. Yes. Was it by the book? No. Consider me the rogue cop from the action comedy that breaks everything and doesn't gets yelled at by the police chief because I do whatever I want. You were your own recovery specialist in that moment. And Mm -hmm. what people I think don't understand is when it comes to recovery from, it took me years to go back to therapy. I went to therapy once when I was 19, didn't like what I was told and decided I was never going to therapy again. All right. Fast forward to me at like 35, having been through a string of toxic relationships Mm -hmm. and finally going back to therapy because I was ready to hear the things that I didn't want to hear back then. I was finally ready to be like, okay, I think people look at this, at relationships with therapy and recovery and counseling and everything like, oh, well, I have a problem. So I'm going to go get therapy. Oh, I have a problem. So I'm going to go seek a recovery specialist. No, there is a level of embarrassment you feel going to somebody else for help with something that you feel like nobody struggles with. And you're just like, do I go to this person and tell them? And and yes, it's a terrible thing to feel so embarrassed that you cut yourself off from resources. But the fact is, it's something that quite often happens. I know people that got sober without programs. And is it still a struggle for them? Yes. Do they still have a solid group of people that they can lean on? Absolutely. But Would it wasn't it by better? the book. How no, it wasn't by the book, but yeah. they were still able to hold themselves up. I didn't go to recovery for an addiction to diet pills. I almost fucking killed myself at taking these diet pills. And then I was like, I would like to actually live. So I'm going to go ahead and stop what I'm doing because I literally felt like my heart was going to explode out of my chest. And I was petrified, but I didn't seek recovery therapy. It's still hard for me now to not, you know, feel like I need a handful of diet pills to make it through the day or to feel like if I eat something that I actually enjoy, there's something wrong with me and I'm doing something bad. Uh, or if I don't work out for a couple of days, oh my God, it's terrible. And, and I am terrible and I'm lazy. It's hard. And those are struggles that I okay. still experience today. I have a question because I, I struggle too. I still have the noise. And do you think had we gone to treatment and worked through it, would we still have the noise? Is that why we still have the noise? No, the noise still exists. I'm in therapy now. I've been in therapy for years now. Yeah. The noise still exists. I still have my struggles. Unfortunately, it's a series of steps. I think it's never going to, you're never going to not have those struggles. I think the trick is you'll be able to catch it quicker. Yes. You can just, you'll just go, Oh no, let's stop that thought right there. Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to pull yourself out of it after practice. And still there are things that are such deep triggers for us. Sometimes somebody will hit something and it's like, even if you tried to catch it, it just slips right through your fingers and now you're in it. Now you're in it. Now you're spiraling. Now you're in it. And the only thing you can do is brace yourself for impact at that point. Cause you're like, I'm going to cry. I'm going to scream. I'm going to isolate. I'm going to do these things yeah. because I, I am now I'm in it. 
unfortunately. And and that's okay. It's okay to experience those moments. And in those moments, I think what we need is a good support system is having that person that you can call. And it's not always, doesn't always have to be the same person. There are things that I can, I know I can call my brother about that, you know, maybe I can't call my closest girlfriend for. And so though you have those people that, you know, you can go to. And I think building up a system of people to help support you and a community to help you in those moments is key. Yes. Uh, getting out of the spiral. And I just feel compelled. I haven't even, sh- I've shared it with you, but I haven't really shared it publicly yet. But my foundation, Blue Butterfly, is going to be what you're describing when girls feel like they're the only ones and they don't want to go and talk to a professional about what they're going through, we will make a community of women who have been through the things and make it like a retreat where they're all hearing stories from other women who have been through the things, other girls that are in it now. It's not a therapy session where somebody's judging you. It's a community to go to that's going to be a safe place and a trusted place because you know those people have been through the things. They're not there to judge you. They don't have a clipboard, but that's exactly why I want to do that. That's why that was built, exactly what you're describing. You isolate because you're like, I'm the only one. I don't want to talk to somebody about this. But here, come to this retreat, hear other people's stories, and then your guard comes down and you're like, okay, her too. And look at her, look what she's doing now. Like she's on stage and she's got this career. So that's exactly what I want it to be. And that doesn't even keep me immune. Exactly. That's the thing too. Like nobody is immune to it. You could be the richest, most successful, best looking person in the world. And you're still subject to all of your triggers. You're still subject to deep wounds. And it's just, and that's just how it is. And I think as people, we need to give ourselves a little more grace when we are triggered and understand our humanity a little bit more. I'm listening to Matthew Perry's uh, book on audio right now, audio book. And he's like, he talks about all about his addiction. He almost died multiple times, but he's like, there was a point in my life. He's like, I was on the number one show in the world. I was making a million dollars a week and I was dating Julia Roberts and still he was taking 88 pills a day. And so he's like, it, it doesn't matter. Like he's like there, nobody could have picked a life better than the life I was living. And he's still like his demons were there. That doesn't fix anything. Like no. you're not immune to it. People don't, I think people think that money makes you immune. Success makes you immune. Yeah. Like, you know, there are so many people, I mean, there's so many even comedian friends that I've lost Mm. to their addictions. And, you know, you see these people and some of them were these revered comics that were so loved and thought of as so brilliant. And it's like, why would this person? Robin Williams is what I'm thinking of right now. You think Why he's like would the this happiest? person not want to be around anymore? Why would this person, yeah. even with all the help that's available now, like, yep. dude, it's still, we are much more delicate, I think, than we are ever willing to admit. Like, and a lot of us don't understand that, unfortunately, because of how parenting was in the beginning and this idea of just survival, a lot of our foundation have so many cracks in them that we've never bothered to fix. And those cracks build and build and build under the surface until one day there's just no repairing it anymore. I 
I have to say this again, Matthew Perry's book. He's like, now he's in therapy. When he was six or six or five or six, his parents divorced and they would just send him on a plane. He's like, I had all these other kids had parents. I had a sign that said unaccompanied minor. And he's like, I was terrified. And he's like, I'd sit on the plane, like just wait every time there was a big bump. He's like, there was no one to look at to like, say it's going to be okay. And he's like, for the rest of his life, like he felt like he was unlovable. He's like, why would they just send me on a plane? And something that happened when he was five years old, still like, he's like, he would break up with women before they could break up with him. And it was like such a like poignant moment in his past that directed like the rest of his life. He's like, every time they sent me alone, they were just like, just go. I was terrified. I felt like nobody talks to kids or ever about how they're feeling helps them to dissect it really fully explain situations it's like for such a large portion of us from uh some of the older generations nothing gets explained to us we were expected to shut up and do and our parents were dealing with just the basic survival emotions where it was like can i keep this kid alive i don't care about your mental state i care about your physical state Mm -hmm. are you alive are you with me cool then why would i worry if you're depressed or sad or afraid or anything because we don't see the domino effect that those things have yes from our youth to our adulthood where it's like oh mommy never listened to me daddy never listened to me so now that first domino sets off the rest of like oh, now I have to make sure my voice is heard or silence myself or yell at people or force people or the, and the domino and domino and domino. Yeah. And we don't acknowledge that. And it's important to, I have these conversations with my husband a lot about even little tiny things around my son where I'm like, please don't dismiss his emotions. Please don't treat him like that. Yeah, that makes daddy happy. You're like, your happiness is not determined it's by what not he does. not his problem. Yeah. Your happiness is not his problem. Yeah. That is your thing to deal with. Don't put it on him. And I think it's something that we do with kids a lot. And I find myself doing it too. Like there was a time, and that's why I understand my husband. There was a time where, you know, when I was really sad, I would want to hug my son. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm literally forcing him to make me feel better. Like, what am I doing right now? This is my job as a grown up. Like I'm putting this on him. Everybody's going to mess up. Let's just clear the air. Every single parent is going to screw this up somehow. It's inevitable. One way or the other, you're going to be imperfect. Mm -hmm. And in one situation or another, you're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, be the wrong thing, whatever. It's just going to happen when you're not your best self. Accountability is what will save you. Mm -hmm. Being able to say, and, and I practice it now with my son so that when it happens, when he's older, I can talk these things through with him. Like when I get frustrated and I feel like I've been too harsh with him, I am normalizing apologizing to my son and being like, mommy is really sorry. Mommy apologizes. She overreacted and she shouldn't have spoken to you that way. Yep. Because I want to raise somebody who has the confidence within themselves to tell someone, don't speak to me like that. Love that. Yes. The issue is like, So many of us were taught to fear authority, not respect our own voice, not be able to stand up for ourselves because we were literally browbeaten into submission. Literally, in my husband's case. Yeah. Literally just kept almost submissive 
And if you fought it in any way as a kid, you were disciplined harshly. If you weren't this well-behaved and well-behaved just meant having no opinions on things, having no ability to stick up for yourself. Mm -hmm. Well-behaved wasn't just, oh, my kid is then biting other kids or hitting other kids. Well-behaved was sit down, shut up, do what I say, don't ask questions. We do what I'm going to do, not what you want to do. You have no say in your life. This is what we teach kids. Yeah. Because we're too afraid or too lazy or whatever to actually have conversations with them and actually figure it out. Everybody wants to parent with this iron fist of like, if I control you, then you're safe. I would rather have a relationship with my kid where he feels comfortable telling me things like, hey, mom, somebody offered me drugs the other day. Right. What do I do in that situation? Right. And without judgment, I go, well, I'm not going to sit here and act like I've never taken drugs before. But here's how to avoid dangerous situations in this case. Mm -hmm. Here's how to best keep yourself safe. Yeah, but he comes and to I, you. So you're he's not going to someone else that's going to tell him. You're the person telling him about that because well, he's not going to feel a level of shame of coming yeah. to me like, oh, my, my God, my mom is going to make me feel so bad. My mom's going yep. to... You want to create that, or at least you hope to create that environment where your kid feels comfortable enough to be like, I'm going through something and you're the one person that I feel the safest with. I think that's yeah. the goal is to create such a safe space for your kids that they're not afraid to come to you with their hurdles. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Guys, we're moms. We're not out on the town every night anymore. We're chasing our toddlers through our kitchen. But there are those times where you want just that little extra something. Maybe it's a girl's night, a wedding, a date night, a work event. If you're looking for that little extra confidence boost, you need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift delivers dramatic results to minimize the look of lines, wrinkles, crow's feet, those 11 lines that I have between my eyebrows. I use it on the bags under my eyes. Guys, it works in four minutes and delivers results up to seven hours. I've tried it. I'm obsessed. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A liftbeauty.com and use promo code margaritas. You need this in your life. Shipping is free. You get 20% off. Go to rejuvaliftbeauty.com. Explain your DNA on, on 10 cases, man. You're inside the police interrogation room with the alleged Potomac River rapist. I'm not guilty on any of this stuff. So calm, so reasonable. Could this be the man who terrorized women for nine years before murdering a brilliant scientist two decades ago? Experience one of the most fascinating true crime podcasts available. Join crime reporter Paul Wagner for Unknown Subject, season three of WTOP's American Nightmare series. Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms. Now back to squats and margaritas. When you grew up, was your mom like always on diets? I know you said like other family members made comments, but like for me, oh, I would see what my mom did and I was like, oh, we go on diets. We want to be skinny. We weigh ourselves. Like I learned it from her. Well, I had this thing with my mom, like and we've we had talked about it years ago. She probably won't even remember because it was like literally I was a teenager and it was probably the most bold thing that I had ever done as a teenager was me and my sister decided one year for Christmas we were going to make this video of our parents. So we took a lot of like footage, candid footage of and I'm sure we thought we were sneaky, but we had one of those old big ass cameras that had <laughs> actual VHS tape in it. Yeah. And so 
we weren't sneaky at all, I'm sure, but we would film my parents like doing stuff and and we did a we did all these fun little parts. And then there was a part. I don't know where we got the balls or the <laughs> labia in this case to do it. <laughs> what? But we had a section where we said the things we we think you did wrong. Whoa. And one of those things was I had lost a bunch of weight. Uh, my dad had to go on a diet. So basically the whole family went on slim fast for a mm-hmm. while. We just, it was meal replacement shakes. We just did it because my dad, I think it was, um, my dad had had a heart attack or something, something about his, his weight and getting him in shape. Um, and I remember we had all started it and I had lost weight. And one of my, um, I think cousins one time came over and was like, wow, you lost a lot of weight. And immediately my mom was like, no, she didn't. Mm. And I remember feeling so crushed. Yeah. And being like, oh, I guess mom doesn't think I lost weight. It's not good enough. Yeah, it's not enough. And I told that story in the video and my mom, you know, she apologized and she said, I was afraid because you had lost weight. But because of her own trauma connected Mm -hmm. to weight loss, she was like, whenever somebody told me I lost weight, I would go and binge eat because I didn't want them to notice. And I would start eating unhealthy again to put the weight back on. And I didn't want that to happen to you. Wow. Unfortunately, because of that moment, now when someone does make a comment about my weight, I'm usually on the either either extreme either i will binge eat or i will eat keep going yep it's like either extreme Mm. and unfortunately that foundation was laid before i had that conversation with my mother wow and so although it was great that she was able to talk to me about and able to say that and able to admit to her own traumas it was too late i have almost seven-year-old daughter and eating disorders are genetic and like you have to be genetically predisposed to it but it's like the fact that she's a firstborn and i had it like the chances are higher so there's no scale like i don't ever i don't i don't criticize myself anymore yeah Yeah. i don't want her to ever because my worth was that number for 20 years and Mm -hmm. if it was up i was having a shitty day if it was down by an ounce and i'm literally if i'd lost anything and that didn't gain i would have a great day it all was determined by a number that i only saw and i'm determined to not have her go down that path but i will catch myself like the only like reward for her is candy treats there's she won't anything she does she's like can i get a treat can i get a uh, cookie can i get and i'm trying to like make that not a thing but i noticed myself being like yes if you finish like if you clean your plate and I'm, I catch myself and I'm like, no, she needs to listen to her hunger cues. Like I'm teaching her clean your plate. You're not hungry anymore, but you have to eat everything on this to get a clean plate, to get your reward of a treat, which it's totally effed up and wrong, but it's the only thing that she, like, I can't be like, here's a dollar. You can go get something at the mall, like candy treats. And I don't know how that started, but I do catch myself on the clean your plate. If you eat everything on your plate, because that's telling her not to listen to her body. And it's just a, I don't, I'm so worried about it that I'm probably like over coaching it and not handling it the right way. But I worry about that so much by like the things I'm telling her now, that's going to like set the stage for her teenage years, which is when I really went under with it. Well, I think 
the good the good thing about you being so conscious of it uh is that you will pick up on stuff little yes. cues about insecurities and you'll be able to help her self-correct because you have such an experience with the trauma of an eating disorder of of all these issues yeah i think that's a good thing the fact that you're so aware most likely means that you'll be able to prevent her from having those issues but i totally get what you're saying like even with my mom with my son like i'm I'm like, don't force him to eat. Yeah. Not, if he is done eating, then he's done eating. If he gets hungry later on, he can have a snack. Um, usually what will happen if I'm sitting with my son and he's eating something and I, I'm lucky, I am blessed that my son so far is not really into sugar. He wow. loves veggies. He loves fruits. He loves that. And that's been a blessing. Wow. But even with that, there are times where he just doesn't want to eat. And the problem is that's such a trigger for me. I know, yes. That I have to make sure I'm not putting my triggers on him. Yep. And so I have to wait and I'll try to offer him other things. Like if I know it's around time and he should eat, I'll be like, okay, if you don't want to eat that, can I offer you some baby carrots? Can I offer you some string beans? Can I offer you a yogurt? Um, what would you like? So that way you get to choose. I'm giving you the right to choose what you eat. You don't have to eat everything I've put in front of you, because what if you don't like it? Exactly. What if you don't feel like eating a hot dog right now? What if you'd rather, mm-hmm. the only thing that I try to instill is that, because every now and then he'll do the kid thing, right? He'll, he'll want animal crackers. And I'll be like, okay, well, you have to finish your string beans. And then I'll ask you again, if you want animal crackers after you finished your string beans. Mm-hmm. And I let him finish. The string beans. I don't force him. I don't stick him in his mouth. I go, (laughs) I need you to finish your string beans before we can move on to something else. But even that feels like, I'm like, you question everything. No, you question everything. The cookie after is that the reward system? Because I don't want to do the reward system. It's such a balance. It's such a balance when it comes to our kids and food and our own triggers. Totally. Where are you with it now? Like, so you can't, I was going to ask you like a rock bottom moment, but you said you almost died. Like your heart almost stopped. So you were like, I don't want to die. I'm going to stop with the diet pills. What happened from there? And like, how do you live now? Are you vegan? Did I see that? I'm not vegan. I have food allergies and it's honestly probably because of all my messed up history with food that I have food allergies, but it was also after the birth of my son. There's a lot of stuff that I I can't eat eggs. I struggle with eating avocado now because avocado is high in histamines and I'm apparently incredibly allergic to histamines now. So it just makes me itchy. I still eat it. It just, (laughs) my life would be miserable if someone said I couldn't have guac. I just, I try to give myself grace and, and honestly be real with myself and ask myself questions, like not in a judgy way, but like, have you really fed your body nutritionally rich foods today? Yes. Have you eaten vegetables? Did you have vitamins? Like, or did you wake up, throw in a toaster waffle because you were busy, munch on that, not eat the whole day, and then have a massive amount of food at the end of the night? Right. Because you weren't accurately like I am that person that people will text and be like, did you eat yet? Yeah. Like I'm that person that people will be like, have you eaten today? What have you eaten today? Did you stop and drink water? Like, and yeah. you don't think you're going to forget something that basic. 
Yes, what or you I would do it on purpose. Like when I was, I would not eat and it was doing that. Your metabolism shuts off. Like my sister would all be like, I barely ate today. I only ate breakfast. I was like, that's not like a winning day. Your body feels like you're starving and it's not going to burn because it doesn't know when it's going to be fed again. You have to eat constantly. It's like such a reframe from what we were taught growing, like eat all the time. But it, that, it truly is your, your body has to trust that food is coming in and then it will burn. And I, it took me 20 years to learn that. And something that triggers me now that I feel like you'll feel the same way is intermittent fasting. Everybody's like intermittent fasting. It has all these benefits, but for someone like you and I, who had such a restricted eating past for me to say, I'm hungry, but it's not an eating hour and I don't eat, I only eat between 12 and five. Like I'm not going to put those kind of restrictions on me again. I can't do it. I honestly think, cool. It works for some people. Right. Don't recommend it for everybody because yeah. it's not everybody's thing. I, I did it for, I, I would say, I, <laughs> I would always tell people, I don't do inter- intermittent fasting. I do inadvertent fasting, which <laughs> means I forget to eat. And I'm like, oh, I fasted today. <laughs> <laughs> Killing it. Yeah. No, you just didn't eat. Yeah. And so um, I've done it intentionally before, but it's usually when I feel like I overdid it with my system the day before. And I'm like, my system literally needs a couple of hours of break to digest. It's literally only when I feel so full where I'm like, I need a couple of hours to digest the mistakes I've made (laughs) and like, let my system work it out. And then when I get hungry, I will eat. But it's that initial like twinge of hunger that I can't ignore and be like, I can't let that build. Once I feel it, I've got to be like, okay, let's go grab an apple. Let's grab some grapes. Let's get a, a, make a protein shake, something to feel the minute you feel that hunger, because what I'll do is I'll feel that hunger. And if I don't tackle it right away, I will be like, well, don't eat though because you ate too much a couple of hours to don't eat your body is literally going please for the love of god give me some food and your mind is going no you're fat or it's not time it's rules like it's not a for me it was drink like it's not a drinking day i'd want a glass of wine but it was like no you're not you only have it on saturday then you drink two bottles of wine or seven margaritas because it's your drinking day if you just listen to your body. There's two cues. There's a hunger cue, you're hungry, and there's satisfied, not full. And I will say, honestly, when you're talking about full, like I won't let myself get that full again because I don't know, I don't ever want to feel that kind of fullness again because I would purge. So I don't, I eat until I'm satisfied and taking that second, like, are you eating just because there's food there? And, or are you, are you still hungry? And sometimes I take the second, I'm like, yeah, I'm still hungry, but take just your body is cueing that you're hungry. Eat when you're satisfied, stop eating. It sounds very simple, but literally 20 years from 16 to 36, I didn't listen to my hunger cues. I had rules. This is not, I'm not eating carbs. I, I eat at this time. I don't eat after 7 PM. And it's like living that way. I was 20 pounds heavier. I was miserable and frustrated. Cause I just felt like I'm doing everything right but it was all these rules. If you just honor what your body mm-hmm. is saying, I'm satisfied, I'm hungry. It kind of works with you again. Your body will tell you. Yes. It's just about building a relationship to listen to your body. I think the healthiest I was, was when I, I was a vegetarian for like five years. Wow. And I think it was like the healthiest I was because I learned so much about listening to my body and what it needed. Cause I had pulled out a whole section of what I could eat 
And yeah. so I, I really learned to be like, what do you need? And I will still ask myself that question when my body feels off balance. I will go, well, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Did you have a couple of days ago? I had too much caffeine, and that triggers the same thing as a bunch of diet pills. And I remembered the feeling, mm-hmm. and I started to panic. Yeah, and I had to calm myself down, and you know, tell myself, look, you had too much coffee. Let's get some water in your system. Let's get something to eat, even if you have to get a wrap sandwich or something that of substance that will sit in your stomach for a minute because your body is now in such a hyperactive mode. You need something to sort of ground it a little bit. And just talking to myself and figuring out like, okay, what do you need? If I'm craving sugar or something and I know I'm like, oh, I really want a donut right now. Okay, but what does your body really need? What are you going to get from that donut? Sugar. What does sugar do? It's going to give you energy. So what you need is energy. Yes. And having those conversations and stopping myself and going, and it's difficult because I don't always nail it. And there's times where I'm like, look, all I have is this little piece of dark chocolate. I'm going to eat this dark chocolate until I can get to my next meal. Or I'm going to force myself to make a protein shake. We want to make a protein shake after this because yesterday I didn't eat enough. And I felt it at the end of the night and I went to bed with my stomach growling because I didn't eat enough during the day. Mm-hmm. And it was because I was running around and it was because I would look at menus and be like, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that. But it was my my job is to take care of me. Yeah. And I had not yesterday really eaten enough of anything. And I had so many meetings at restaurants, but... <laughs> There's a self-consciousness of eating in front of a person that you're having a meeting with. There's a self-consciousness of, am I ordering something that's too heavy to this, to that? Yes. Like I ordered avocado toast and I was like, am I going to be itching this whole meeting (laughs) because I ordered the healthiest thing on the menu that happens to make me itch? You're going to pay for it, right? Yes. I know that sounds like a really great idea. I think. (laughs) We could totally like do she that. was itching the whole time. She's great, but she might be a meth head of some kind. <laughs> she's, I was literally like, okay, there's just so much going on. And so by the time like I, I was in bed and I had had some flaxseed chips and, but my body was like, this still isn't enough. Like we've been up and running around and running on empty for hours and and it's just something that to this day still it's like I do need somebody standing next to me at all times just handing me various like here's a protein shake mm-hmm. here's some baby carrots here's some cut up fruit here's some like I need that person otherwise I will sit here and be like oh I haven't eaten for 10 hours yeah it's time for me to eat how does exercise play into it because it seems like with your schedule you don't we wouldn't have time to go to the gym do you walk do you like how do I'm you... a, I box. I box. Oh. I do Muay Thai. Uh, I For a while, I was in Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, and MMA, like just for a little while. Wow. It's my favorite thing. Um, one, as a woman that travels by herself, I think it's important that I learn how to defend myself, even yeah. if it's just to get someone off me so I can run away. And two, because I can get terribly bored with working out um, because I'm not like, if you're an enthusiast about it, awesome. I really wish I had that like in me, but I find strength training workouts, boring cardio <laughs> gets boring after a while. But when I discovered that I had this love of like boxing and I could channel 
every bit of anxiety and rage and, and emotion into this thing, yeah. it became this wonderful outlet. And I got one of those half the one of the bobs, one of the like. My uh, husband uh, has a bob. <laughs> I, it's the best thing in the world. It Kick is his ass. Best. Oh, <laughs> it's the best, and I miss it when I'm on the road. Like I'm on the road right now, and I would say I haven't worked out probably in the past. Well, other than the like walking. That's what I was gonna hours. say. A, a workout in quotes. Like I just started walking, and it again, it was mental. I always ran. I played soccer in college. It was like I was a runner, and I felt like you had to run and you had to sweat. And the more women I talk to on the show, they're like, you're 40, I'm about to be 41. You don't need that high intensity. She's like, it's actually, people say it's actually working against you, like your hormones at this time in your life. And they're like, strength train three, four times a week and walk. And I was like, walk. But mm -hmm. honestly, like I, I'm sore the next day. I was so worried about like, I'm not working out anymore. Walking is underrated. Like put on a podcast Ooh, or something you want to listen to. And just walk or don't walk with anything and just listen, like think and go for a walk in New York. Like I walking has been something I've just found and I have seen the benefits of. And I never I would be like, I'm not 80. I'm not going to go for a walk. But it's it, it's, it's just it's a workout. People are literally doing mental health walks now. Yes. <laughs> and I it's double. It's mental health and it's cardio. Yeah. Well, I'm like, I think it's amazing that you go out and you walk for 20, 30, yes. 40 minutes, whatever okay. you want to do. And you just get your body moving and yes. your body is like, oh, okay, this is something at least like, I would say, even though I haven't, you know, boxed in the past week because I've been traveling, I've still been able to walk, do squats, do some crunches. And I just really, for me, it's even more so than just the physical health aspect is the mental health aspect. Yes. Like if I don't channel this energy into something, it's going to manifest as anxiety. It's going to manifest as depression. Yes. And so I, I need to put my energies into something that is productive and positive and, and force myself in a sense to be like, no, you need to move your body. It will make you feel better. It will make you feel better even if you just go for a 10 minute walk. Yeah, the endorphins, Whatever. you feel better. Mm -hmm. Like it's, and you think people are like, I don't have time to go to the gym. You don't need to go to the gym. You don't need to take a class, take a walk. And I, I, I didn't think that either. Like I'd be like, I'm gonna take a walk. It has been, I really enjoy it now. Like I haven't ran a step in like a year. I walk and it's, yeah. I, I haven't had any fitness challenges with it. I'm still in the same shape. You're not gonna lose your fitness by walking. And like you said, it's a double, like the other benefit of just like clearing your head, walk, come back, feeling better. Um, yeah, I'm walk and strike train. A hundred percent. This has been fabulous. The State of Women is available now. Again, if somebody didn't hear part one, talk about what that is. Um, so the State of Women, it's literally a podcast I did with um, Clamor Audio and uh, my lovely co-host, Kimberly Brooks. And it is what it says it is. It's the state of women. It's literally a state by state. Uh, we examine the laws and as they apply to women. And I wish I could say across the board, they were all the same, mm. but it is disheartening to a certain extent how, how many laws there are in so many states that affect women negatively. Mm -hmm. um, but the plus side is there are also laws that protect women. And I think the whole point of the podcast is for people to be aware. It's to gain knowledge of where you will be 
safe and how to protect yourself. And we offer resources and different websites where you can get information to help protect yourself as a woman in today's climate. I love that. So state of women podcast, wherever you get your podcast. And then is there a Christmas movie that you're in? There's a Christmas movie. Oh, um, next year will be, uh, as far as I know, uh, it will be on Disney plus, uh, Christmas of 2023. Okay. And, um, I don't have any more information (laughs) uh, other than I believe the movie will be called Holly. Uh, once I have more information, obviously I'm going to, I'm so proud of the project. I can't wait to tell everybody about it. Um, I love Christmas. I'm a huge Christmas nerd. So the opportunity to do this movie and uh, to work with Will Packer, who was the producer of the movie, just getting a chance to work with them was incredible. And I look forward to everybody getting to see it when it comes out. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. Searching for the perfect gift idea for that hard-to-buy person on your list? The Allbirds Wool Runner is a natural fit. The Wool Runner is super cozy, super comfy, and super giftable. It's made with ZQ-certified merino wool, a naturally cozy material that offers next-level comfort and a lower environmental impact. The cushioned midsole and versatile design offer all-day comfort in a classic style you can wear every day, even in a winter wonderland. And its fully machine washable construction makes it easy to keep your shoes looking like new. Allbirds shows off the Wool Runner's carbon footprint right on the shoe so you can see the difference for yourself. On top of that, they actually offset that carbon footprint to zero, making the Wool Runner completely carbon neutral. So you can stay cozy and tread lighter on the planet. This holiday season, give tidings for comfort and coziness with the Allbirds Wool Runner. Discover your perfect pair at Allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com.